Welcome to episode number 58 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring director and screenwriter Gabrielle Demestier of the new film Yosemite, starring James Franco and Henry Hopper, which is currently playing in limited theatrical release and debuting soon on video on demand. Yosemite is based on some of the stories featured in James Franco's book, Palo Alto Stories. It tells the interwining tales of three fifth grade friends, Chris, Joe, and Ted, as they unfold in the suburban paradise of Palo Alto as the threat of a mountain lion looms over the community in the fall of 1985. Director and screenwriter Gabrielle Demister takes us through her process of directing her very first feature film, as well as working at the NYU graduate film program and some of the lessons she learned during her time there, and the mentorship of producer James Franco. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you still have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software by doing all of the above. Follow us on Twitter at jogroad, follow us on Instagram at jogroadproductions, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, like us on Facebook, Jog Road Productions, and don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. Do all of the above and you'll have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join director and screenwriter Gabrielle Demister as she tells us about her time at NYU Film School and her first meeting with James Franco. I know that you went to NYU Film School and... Um, you graduated from that program. Um, so were there any essential lessons that have uh, stayed with you since moving on in your filmmaking career after graduating? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, definitely, um, in a way, not what you would expect. Like, of course, you know, I learned a lot in terms of, like, technical filmmaking and that kind of thing, but I think what has really stayed with me and I think about now looking back after having made the movie is kind of like how strong it's made me in terms of you know almost a kind of a boot camp mentality like being able to you know work long hours and have that kind of like stamina and like never give up mentality I think because we worked on so many sets together and also the um, you know being good at being part of a team and a collective of people and um just being close to the people I work with, and I work with a lot of people I met at NYU. Um, so I think it's just made me like a harder worker and a better collaborator. Was there a great sense of uh, collaboration or camaraderie at NYU in terms of everybody supporting each other's projects and um, trying to help the best they the best they could? Yeah, for sure. I think that I mean it can feel competitive, maybe you know when you're trying to make it in the film industry like after you graduate and comparing yourself to other people and almost being competitive by yourself, you know, in the kind of um, anxiety of that struggle professionally. But in the, I mean, when I was in school, I felt like we were just in it together. And then I feel that way when I, you know, with my close friends and collaborators now. Um, so yeah, I think that the school very much wants to build that kind of team spirit and like teach you to be a filmmaker by working in a group of people. 
Um, when you were at NYU, um, had you grown familiar with uh, these short stories that James Franco had wrote, or did you read them at the time, or were you aware that he was trying to sort of get this project going? Um, so we were classmates in our first year at NYU, so, and we were put in a group of four people together where you work on your first silent short film. Um, so we worked on a number of short films together, and you know, crude and like he gripped and did sound and I um, did various positions too. So we became friends and we worked together in school. And then uh, I think it was my, yeah, my third year of school, um, he had just started with this idea of adapting Palo Alto. So he had asked uh, Gia Coppola to adapt the stories about teenagers. And then he had, he just came to me and asked me if I wanted to do the ones about kids. Um, and had seen a short that I made that had teenagers in it. Uh, what was uh, what were some of the shorts that you had made at NYU? Um, the short one was a short four minute film that's online called The Last Cigarette. And then I made a film my second year that's the one he saw called The Low Season um, that didn't really have like a very big festival life. But I now look back and think like wish I hadn't been so upset about it because I feel like I learned a lot and that was just kind of the purpose and point of film school and I think people get so anxious about you know one short film and spend years on it um so that's what I wish I'd done differently it's kind of just taken all that like learning in stride yeah and sort of not put so much weight into one project but sort yeah because it was collection. actually like you know I liked the short film a lot and the ending didn't work and it was like a pretty simple lesson like oh like you need to learn to write better endings and kind of should have not spent a year beating myself up about it. So I think that's what ha can happen in school is you, you know, there's that wanting everything to be perfect and successful kind of attitude, which can be detrimental. Uh, um, you, I was going to say, um, when you started working on the screenplay, um, was James, did James have kind of a clear vision as far as what he wanted from the short stories into the film or... Were you sort of um, very creatively free to kind of structure it the way you wanted to? Uh, he left me totally free, and he's very, like, generous and curious in that way. Like, I think for him it was actually interesting to see what someone would make of it. Like, he didn't really have any um, preconceived notions of what it should be. He just wanted, you know, someone else with a different perspective and different experience to adapt it. Um, so I think there was a kind of, like, curiosity about he had about that process um and so he gave me two stories and i liked the stories a lot and i sort of toyed with the idea of making them one character and then i liked them so much and they had like such a specific mood that that's when i decided to write the triptych um and then i wrote a third story because to make it you know like a full feature length script and you know he was just encouraging and we had a reading of the script and he gave me notes and feedback and suggestions, but more, you know, just to make it better. It wasn't like he expected anything to be a certain way. Uh, were there any notes that he gave you that you felt that were um, very helpful or very insightful to not only the screenwriting process, but maybe even how you would execute the film directing it? Yeah, he definitely enlightened me on certain things that I may not have totally gotten in the stories which was, I remember there's, um, in the middle story, there's a kid who, the kid Joe, who walks on the train tracks, 
like I think he just helped me understand that character better and he brought in a lot of like great vernacular of you know being a boy in Palo Alto in the 80s and like calling each other like shithead and <laughs> dickless and like you know uh, I think just adding to what was already in the stories which were like the specificity of the visual detail and the you know the language and how boys talk to each other and stuff like that yeah, I thought um, I thought in the film there was a great sense of um, of location, a great sense of place, and a great sense of time. Um, so I was curious if you had done any research into you know either maybe visiting Palo Alto or sort of understanding um, what that area was like in the 1980s. Yeah, I did a lot of research because I think as a filmmaker I get inspired by location a lot. Um, so it was a combination of trying to get the per- wanting to get the period right and just thinking, you know, the film would become more and more interesting the more specific it was about the place, and also that would provide visual inspiration. Um, so we, I took, I worked very closely with the production designer, and we went on two research trips, um, and she was amazing. With, you know, she grew up in Marin County in the '80s, so she kind of she kind of asked me all the hard questions about the script. Um, you know, like, did I know what the parents did? Why was this kid doing this at this moment? Like, she kind of um, challenged me to really know all the answers of all the backstories and um, and be as specific as possible. And then we, you know, we went to Palo Alto and we saw a lot of places, and that informed another draft of the script because it's such a bizarre and specific place, and it's you know changed a lot since the '80s. But it has that kind of interesting mix of hippie and um, and tech world, and so that was interesting to me, and then I read a lot about that kind of, like, computer culture also at that time, and, you know, I thought it'd be interesting if there was some kind of subtle historical and social context to the movie exploring what, you know, Silicon Valley was like then, and maybe, you know, the viewer could compare it to what it had become now, and that would be, you know, be interesting and give it some broader context. Yeah, to see sort of the development of, you know, from the 1980s to now when it's such a boomtown with the tech world. Yeah, because I thought especially, to me, the film is all about trying to connect and, you know, these kids' friendships and trying to connect with someone else and the difficulty you can have with that at a certain age. And so it was kind of fascinating to me that they hadn't even entered that, the world that we're all in now, which is, you know, obviously much more disconnected. Um, So that was... I thought helped also tell that story. I was curious, um, you mentioned making a lot of short films at NYU, transitioning into making a feature film. Um, is there any sense that it's different or that it's, um, that it's sort of a bigger hurdle to jump in terms of, you know, jumping into that world of, you know, more days, a bigger crew, um, you know, more decisions to make? incredibly grateful to be given the opportunity because I think I'm such a perfectionist that I may not have thought that I was ready. Um, You know, like, oh, like, try to make these short films, and then I probably would have, you know, tried to write the perfect script for a long time, so it was actually amazing for me to just get to do it, and now that I have, I'm like, I feel like I've, it's like a whole other um, ballpark, I guess, in terms of, like, what you learn and how much you grow in the course of just having to make the film for three weeks like so now I feel very much like much more capable and you know I think there was a moment of I have told some people that but like it was almost funny like the first day how 
much I didn't know and had to acknowledge that I there was no, no way I could have even known anything until I did it. So that feeling, I think, is just kind of, you know, it's, it's helpful to kind of dive in and, and just learn from doing. Uh, so well, I'd say, and I think it was much more rewarding because it actually felt much more organic to make a feature film than a short film because it's, I think a short film in such a specific form to make a really great one is actually really difficult. You know, it has to necessitate exactly that short amount of time and have that perfect reason to exist. Um, so I don't know, I actually had an easier time with, you know, having more time to tell the story and develop the characters. Yeah, what were um, some of the things that you weren't aware of that you um, that you saw kind of going in? Um, I guess just the like crazy breakneck speed at which everything went, and knowing that I had to sustain it for three weeks um, because we were on this like insane schedule and we didn't have a lot of money, so we were just like working very fast. And I guess to some extent, the size of the crew, like, you know, knowing that I needed to be a leader and create a feeling on set that was going to make people happy and help the movie ultimately. And, like, I ended up really enjoying that, but that was something I hadn't necessarily done. It was, you know, leading a, basically, like, 40 people. Yeah, and was it sort of, um, did you you know, sort of have certain points of view as far as how you saw the uh, the cinematography, wardrobe, production design? Was that sort of something that you thought about kind of consulting with all the departments uh, in pre-production? Oh, of course, yeah. That was, I mean, we did a huge amount of pre-production and like, the visual aspect of the time period was super important. And I made a lookbook with the production designer and did extensive research and collected lots of photographs and worked with the cinematographers and yeah I mean that's just hugely important to me and I think for this film in particular I, it had to have that very specific aesthetic because it's a period film and also I wanted to create a kind of you know magical visual language that allows you to enter into the world of these kids so it had to be elevated in some regard not you know totally everyday like sort of seen through the point of view of the kids more so than than anyone else, kind of having that clear sense of point of view. Yeah, and, you know, evoking what it feels like to be a kid and, you know, hopefully we're kind of bringing that back for an adult viewer. I was wondering, um, working with uh, so many child actors on the film, um, do you see a, a difference as a director working with adults as compared to working with children? Is there uh, sort of a difference of how you would communicate with them versus an adult actor? No, I actually kind of knew that I, in order for them to respect me and work well with me, that I had to speak to them as adults, if that makes sense, <laughs> like 10-year-olds can be. Um, but I think it's, I had a great time working with them, and it actually was pretty easy compared to what people tell you. Like, we really got along well, and they were excited to be in a movie, and they were great at basically pretending to be in certain situations. And I think it kind of just still gives you the essence of what it's like to work with an adult actor, but it's sort of simplified. That you're basically like, oh, imagine you were doing this and this is what you were feeling. You know, it's like the very essence of it. Um, so in a way, it's nice and easier than working with an adult because you don't, it's just the like simple essence of it. 
Yeah, and then um, as well as uh, James Franco has a role in the film, and you know he was a classmate of yours and uh, also a producer on the film. Uh, is that a is that easy kind of directing you know a friend who's also sort of a, a big collaborator in the project? Yeah, that was. I mean, we have a good relationship, so in a good understanding, so that you know felt pretty natural. Um, it was interesting because he basically played a part that was based on his real life dad. Um, so he had had that experience of going to Yosemite as a kid with his dad and was now sort of re-experiencing it from his dad's perspective. Um, so in that sense, I kind of wanted to let him be and you know not interfere too much with that experience. But we talked about the character beforehand and you know, made sure we were on the same page about it. Uh, for you, is there anything that changed uh, when you went into the editing process that maybe you didn't realize when you originally uh, conceived of adapting the stories or when you were shooting? Yeah, I think the whole like feeling of like dread and like that something bad is, might happen but doesn't quite happen that people have pointed out a lot. That was kind of a revelation when we were editing that like um, not in the first cut, but like eventually we're like, oh, this is like the tone and this is, there's this like suspense actually and um, yeah, feeling that something bad might happen and that's what we wanted to emphasize in the edit and through sound and music and, you know, kind of amplify that feeling. And that was something, you know, I think that was in the script about certain anxieties you have as a child, but I didn't like completely realize I was doing that until that we saw it in the edit. Yeah, I thought there was a great um, a great use of the sound design in the film. It's sort of uh, something that kind of goes under the radar um, when people look at many films, but it's uh, something that can really evoke something from the viewer uh, that can be very specific. Yeah, I was really lucky that um, NYU partnered with this amazing post house in France that offered um, like one NYU film a grant to do all the sound mix and the color for free for a feature film. And so I won that grant and I went to France for two months and we did all the posts and it was like, you know, like incredible sound mixers and color cor correct who, had, who have worked on like big movies. Um, and that was like, yeah, I think that completely enhances that mood and that, that feeling. And they did an amazing job. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it was executed really well. It's, um, you know, I always talk to filmmakers and, I think sound is something that uh, you know should always be considered in the post-production process, not something to kind of be uh, you know taken lightly. Yeah, especially when you have certain feelings that you're trying to evoke and like and be in kind of an interior space with the kids and stuff. I mean, it really helps. And we did a cool thing that I'd never done. I didn't know about was we um, the sound mixers thought it'd be like interesting to have the kid breathing. So we re-recorded, like, Joe, the middle kid, like, we had him, like, breathe to all his actions, basically, like, an ADR session. Um, and I was like, oh, how is he going to do that? That seems so crazy. And he was, like, an 11-year-old kid, like, amazing at breathing in every moment. And we, like, added that into the mix. And, you know, it kind of makes you feel for him and be with him in important moments. Yeah, and definitely sort of um, cements you in his point of view. Yeah, which is cool. Like, I had no idea people did that, like, recorded ADR of breathing. Uh, I was wondering um, about the crowdfunding campaign as well um, for, I believe it was this film, and then I think there were some other um, 
parts of uh, James's stories that he was trying to adapt as well. Um, mm -hmm. What is your take on the crowdfunding process and, um, you know, as a filmmaker, how engaged do you need to be a part of it for it to be successful? Um, well, I was really grateful they did it because it allowed us to raise the money for the film pretty quickly. And James did it in collaboration with a charity called The Art of Elysium, and they've been very supportive of the movie. Um, and so the profits from the film are going to charity. Um, so it was like a nice way of doing it through them. And I mean, I felt lucky in that I think crowdfunding can be incredibly stressful and, you know, kind of awful <laughs> 30 days of your life when you do it. So in a sense, having James's support, I didn't really need to do as much. So I just felt like, you know, lucky that that it, it allowed us to make the movies. Is that something that you would uh, do again as a as a filmmaker down the road? Yeah, I think so, though. I'm not sure how... It seems to have gotten harder for, to do it for feature films. It seems almost... At a certain stage in your career, it seems almost easier to try to, to raise the money, I guess, through financing, but... Um, I think it's a good way to try to finish a movie if you need some extra money, but it seems like those kinds of like big raising a real budget seems very difficult now. Mm. Like I'm not, maybe it's kind of exhausted itself. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I've, um, I've, I've noticed that from talking to different producers that crowdfunding may have had its, uh, its peak at a certain point a couple of years ago. And now it's sort of, you know, there's so many projects that are trying to get crowdfunded, even ones with, you know, big name talent attached that uh, it's just difficult to get that attention. Yeah, and it's kind of tough, I guess, because it doesn't always reflect, somehow it gets, it seems to not always reflect well if, you know, someone who's done amazing work needs crowdfunding. It's, I guess it cannot, like, it can seem kind of like, um, yeah, I guess it just reveals that you have trouble raising the money, so that is shed a weird light on the project in a way. Um, what James has done with his uh, company, Rabbit Bandini, is really incredible because he's um, taken a lot of independent filmmakers under his wing and have made you know very unique projects um, that are very specific, have very um, specific voices. Um, I was curious, what do you think of um, James's initiative with his production company and um, you know sort of taking under his wing so many films and filmmakers? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, he's helped, like, so many, you know, like, first-time filmmakers get a movie made, um, you know, and for no other reason that he wants to help them and create a community of filmmakers that he likes to work with, and it's really, you know, special and awesome. I have two close friends from NYU who just, um, one, Pam Romanofsky just made The Adderall Diaries that's getting released, and then I have a, a DP from my movie is now making his first movie, um, so yeah, I think, I mean, it's amazing that he's just basically helping people who wouldn't otherwise be able to make a movie or would have a much harder time getting started. Yeah, um, I was curious too about the marketing and distribution um, of your film and how important do you think it is for an independent filmmaker to be a part of that process and understand how it works? Mm, I think it's very important, but I definitely, um, yeah, I think you can sort, like, any work that you do just helps you get the film out there, and it's just kind of another part of the process where 
a lot of it is sort of you, you are going to get back as much as you put into it, and there's a lot of work to be done because there's so many movies that you really need to get the word out. Um, and I def yeah, I definitely think it's helpful in terms of like seeing that aspect also like helps you understand what kind of movie you may want to write next. To you know, in terms of understanding what movies get out in the world and what don't. Um, so yeah, I think it's helpful.